have you take your Bibles. We're going to look in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians again this morning. So if you want to turn there, we're going to look at one verse together. Actually, we'll look at some verses around it. But this is Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians, um, you have books that Paul wrote. So you have 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. Right before Philippians and Colossians. So chapter 4, we're going to look. This is verse Verse 15, all right, it says, But speaking the truth in love, so that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head of Christ. We want to pause and have prayer again together. Lord, will you bless us, help your word to continue to have an impact upon us. Lord, may each of us just sense a closeness with you today. Bless each person, Lord, that's listening. May help each person here just to, to be able to focus, and may your Holy Spirit have a freedom to work and move upon our hearts. Thank you again for all that you do now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I heard about, the fellow was asked, you know, he said, hey, you've got a new pastor, you like your new pastor? He said, oh, much better than the old one. And he said, well, what was wrong with the old one? He said, the old one... He said he just told us all the time how much that uh, how bad we were, and that we were going to face the wrath of God. And so, uh, and he said, so you like the new one better? He said, yes. And he said, what's the new one tell you? He said, oh, he tells us the same thing. He said, but the new one, the old one, acted like he was happy about it. <laughs> the new one, it just breaks his heart. So uh, you know what? You know what makes me happy? It makes me happy to be able to look over here and see your generosity in helping the pregnancy center. Hear about people, and I'll hear this from time to time. You know, one of your members did this. They'll say, you know, they helped me change a tire, or they did this good deed, or I saw them uh, help this child out. And you know, it just blesses me to be able to hear about God's people serving and making a difference in the community, and so that just uh, that just bl- blesses me. You know, when I was uh, in uh, in seminary, or no, actually it was in college. One of my favorite professors, college and seminary all put together, was uh, Dr. William Lane. You know, he, Dr. Lane, he had bushy eyebrows, able big eyebrows. He uh, he had pulled out he'd pulled out chapstick like that. He put his hand kind of in the back of his belt for some reason. And then, uh, but he would say, the first day of class, he'd say, now, you know everybody's biased. Whenever you take a class, you need to know what people's bias are. This is a, a New Testament class, and he said, and, um, and I'm biased. And he said, you need to know that. He said, I'm a Christian. I'm teaching the Bible, but I actually believe the Bible to be true. I actually believe it to be God's Word. So it makes me biased. You need to understand that. Well, you need to understand me. That's where I'm coming from. I believe the Bible is God's Word. And I'm biased. I believe that it, uh, it, if you allow God's Word to impact you, it will. It's a living book. And it, it'll jump out and touch and change your life. And so uh, here, Paul reminds us about the truth. And how important it is. He tells us we need to be able to speak the truth. And by the way, some people would say that word not only means speak, but it means in action. 
It's also used in the book of the Greek word in Galatia, and there it is talking about preaching or speaking. And so we can assume that's what Paul's talking about here, speaking the truth. And it's important. But let's put it in context. You know, the context, Paul talked about uh, in verse 11, for example, how God has gifted some. He's gifted people as ministers, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers, some to be preachers. And He's done so so they can equip the saints. So that they can be able, God's Word can be able to make an impact so that we can go out and make a difference. That's why it's important that we speak the truth. Now, what happens if we don't speak the truth? What happens if we ignore the Bible or we don't really believe the Bible or we're preaching but we don't really believe what we preach? Then what's going to happen? Well, tell you what's going to happen. There is not going to be a foundation given. And so Paul talks about that just a little bit. And uh, he said part of the reason that we're, we're uh, in verse 14 that we preach the word to equip the saints. But verse 14 he says that we no longer should be children tossed to and fro. It's almost like being on a ship out at sea and you're going from one side to the other. Well, that's how some people are in their beliefs. Some, one day they believe this, the next day they believe something else. Sometimes they're, they're always chasing after the latest fad. And so whatever the latest teaching is, whatever the latest book is, that's where they're at. But here's what Paul said, we, know, we need to be able to preach the Word so that we can have a foundation within our church, within our families, within our own lives, so that we can have a foundation to build upon. We preach God's Word so we can have a, an idea of what right and wrong is. And that's not going to change. And so, the Ten Commandments, some people say they're old. Yeah, they are old. But guess what? They're still solid, and they're still what we should be able to practice. They're still true. It's God's Word. And so it gives us a foundation that we need to be able to set our lives on. So if we don't preach the Word, we don't have that. People go to and fro. And you know what? We've got a lot of people mixed up because they don't have that foundation. We've got a lot of people in Washington, D.C. mixed up because they don't have a foundation. Now, notice in verse 14, he also says this. Not only are you tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but notice he says the word by trickery of men. That word trickery, actually in the Greek word, it means it's where we get our word dice from. Dice. Have you ever heard of loaded dice? How that people can use dice to play, to, to, where they gamble and they actually take your money? You know, somebody asked about gambling. What's wrong with it? Well, what's wrong with it? The odds are against you. It's a good way to throw your money away. It's not very wise. And so here he says, if you don't have the proper foundation, you know what happens? You set yourself up to be able to be taken, to be tricked by people. And so there's certain people that are just looking for gullible individuals that don't really have a foundation and to be able to take from them. And not only does he talk about men, but he goes on and he talks about in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You know, it's actually the craftiness 
is also used in chapter 6 concerning Satan. And can I tell you this, if you don't have a foundation, Satan will target you. And if you claim to be a Christian and you really don't have a solid foundation of God's Word, you count on it. Satan will target you because he wants to embarrass you because he wants to embarrass the church. And more importantly, he wants to embarrass Jesus Christ. And so you'll be targeted. So why is it important then that we preach the word, that we preach the truth and we have a foundation so that we can have a, we won't be tossed to and fro, we won't be tricked, and we won't be targeted by Satan. Or at least targeted, uh, you're always going to be targeted, but targeted because he knows you're an easy prey. And so he tells us to preach the truth. It's important we preach the truth. <clears throat> but it's also important not only that we preach the truth, but we maintain love. Because there are people that, yeah, they stand on truth, but they've lost love. We saw, we saw that when we were studying the churches there in Revelation, the church at Ephesus. One of the things he said, you've lost your first love. So it's important that we stand on the truth, but we do so with love. Now, Later in this chapter, in verse 25, for example, he begins giving some life lessons and he says, put away lying. As individuals, we need to take lying out of our lives and we need to speak truth. Well, that's what Paul's been saying. He said, we, we, we want to say the truth, even though it's hard sometimes. People don't want to hear it. We want to base our lives on truth. And so he says, you know, in your regular life, in your home life, in your business life, Base it on truth, but with love, because here's something that you can be sure of. When you tell the truth, people are going to be resistant. They're not going to be happy. When people are living outside the truth, you know what it does? It grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, you know this. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in your life. And the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And He has a purpose. And His purpose is to make you more like Jesus Christ. His purpose is to develop character in your life. And that's the character of Christ. And Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And God is at work through the Holy Spirit helping us to develop that fruit within our life. To be more like Jesus. Now, when you and I are allowing sin to come into our lives, or say we've, uh, we've not established the, that foundation that we need, and we're doing things we shouldn't, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit, He's going to be grieved. He's going to convict you. Uh, by the way, when He says grieved, that means He's brokenhearted. It's hard to believe, but you can break the Holy Spirit's heart. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is God, so you know what that means? Not only is it the Holy Spirit's heart, that you're breaking, but it's also Jesus Christ. It's also God. And so as a Christian, when we fail to, to be able to live out the Christian life, we grieve God. We break His heart. It's hard to imagine that we can do that. But part of the reason that we preach the truth in love is because what we want to do is we want to join with the Holy Spirit and being able to help people no longer to grieve, but to become like Christ. And like I said, there's a lot of people when that happens, they, uh, that's why they don't want to hear good preaching because they 
don't want the Holy Spirit convicting them. They don't want to be changed. And, and, and so, but we preach in love because we are concerned about people and we're concerned and we want people to grow. And I'll tell you something else that's going to happen. It's interesting because in verse 25, he talks about putting away lying. Then in verse 26, you know what he says? He talks about anger. Be angry, but, but don't sin. You know, it's, it's amazing that sometimes whenever you're preaching the truth, how angry people can get. And people will get angry, and then, you know what usually happens? When someone responds in anger, it makes other people angry. And it is a natural thing, if somebody gets angry at me, for me to respond in anger. But you know what he's telling us? When you preach the truth, do so in love. Expect people to get upset. Today, in our society, when you say, I believe the Bible, and then you preach the Bible, people will get angry. And we're, I'm going to talk about some things in just a little bit, and you'll understand what I'm saying. I'm laying a foundation for you right here. What I'm saying is, stand for the truth, but don't be angry. Don't respond in anger. Listen to people. Pray with people. And reaffirm the truth and then allow God to work in their lives and leave it at that. There's no need to be able to get angry, to lose your temper, to lose a testimony. Just allow God to be able to work. Speak the truth. Do so in love. You know, he moves on in this section and he tells us, for example, in verse 32, we need to be kind one another we speak the truth and somebody may disagree with us but we still need to be kind and somebody may be surprised they have a flat tire and you stop and you help them they say wait a second me and you don't agree we don't agree on these things no but you're in need and the right thing to do is to help people and that's what we do we're kind and so just because we disagree with somebody doesn't mean we want to hurt them or we want to see them suffer. We don't. We, so if somebody's in need, we reach out. We're still a, we're kind because that's who we are. And we're always willing to forgive. Always willing to forgive. So preach the truth. Yes, do it in love. And then allow people to see that love in action. Now, I say all that like I said, to be able to lay a foundation. You know, this is February. February is a month of love. It's a month that uh, we celebrate Valentine's. And so I wanted to take just a moment and, and talk about marriage. And you know what the Bible tells us? That marriage should be honored by all. And you know, I think that marriage is something that everybody, regardless of whether you're married or what your age is, it should be honored. Paul talked, or uh, the writer of Hebrews talked about that in Hebrews 13.4. He said, the marriage bed is honorable among all. Jesus said in Matthew 19.6, he said, whatever God has joined together, and he's speaking in Matthew 19 about marriage, he said, don't let anybody put or separate or put asunder. So how is it then that we can honor marriage, especially if I'm not even married? Well, when you're 
young or regardless of your age, one of the things we do is, is we honor our moms and dads. That's the fifth commandment. And you, God wants us to be able to do that because, you know what, that, is, that, there, that marriage is the foundation. It's the first institution that was given to us by God. And so by doing so, we're actually honoring the Lord. So we, we honor the Lord when we honor our moms and dads. Secondly, not only do we honor marriage when we honor our moms and dads, but we honor the Lord when we have morals and principles. There was a, a fellow whose son was going out on his first date. And he said to him, he said, uh, Son, you going to marry this girl? He said, Dad, it's our first date. How do I know? I don't know. He said, Well, son, he said, uh, do you think that one day, that, uh, he said, do you think the girl that you will marry one day, what if she's going out on her first date tonight? Maybe you're not marrying this girl, someone else, and she's going out on her first date tonight. He said, yeah. He said, how would you want her to be treated? He said, well, that guy better treat her well. And he said, son, you're going out with somebody's future wife tonight too, and you better treat her well. You know what? We need to honor marriage beforehand. And we do so by having morals. And let me, you write down these two verses. Here's a couple of verses that I want you to write down with this. It's Hebrews 13.4 and then 1 Thessalonians 4.3. And let me just, uh, I'm just going to flip to them and I'm just going to read them to you. Hebrews 13.4, here's what it says. Marriage is honorable among all. The bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, when he's talking about fornicators, he's talking about people that enter into a sexual relationship before marriage. Adulterers after marriage, an improper one. And so what he's saying is, have morals. And you need to honor the Lord beforehand. Now, let me flip over to first. Thessalonians chapter 4. This is verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And listen to what Paul says here. Verse 3 says, For this is the will of God. What? This is God's will. Your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. There was a fellow I was talking to. Him and his girlfriend were living together. And he said, well, we're living together because there's so much divorce. And so we decided that we just didn't want to be able to uh, make a mockery of marriage. So we're living together. And so I said, that doesn't make any sense to me. It sounds to me like that what you're doing is making a mockery of marriage. Because you're pretending to have something that you don't have. Well, me and him, he quite didn't that he didn't quite understand that. But look, look what the Bible says: This is God's will. It is not God's will that you live together beforehand to have sexual relations before marriage. That's not the will of God, and you can't change it. First Thessalonians four thirteen or four three is clear upon that. By the way, statistics or 
uh, will tell you that God knows what he's talking about. People that live together, uh, there's more likely to have abuse in that relationship. People that live together, they're more likely to cheat. People that live together, they're less likely to be trusted by others. And the relationship's more likely to end. And once, if they do get married, it's more likely to be in divorce. And so God does know what He's talking about. You need, if we're going to honor marriage, we need to do so beforehand. So if you want a valentine, you want to be able to treat someone right, you need to be able to have respect for them and have morals before or, or why you're dating. And if you love somebody, if somebody really loves you, they'll want you to be in God's will. And we've already seen this is God's will. Marriage uh, and honoring it is the will of God. And then the third thing is we want to be able to honor marriage as God designed it. And so write this verse down. It's Galatians 2, 24. Or not Galatians, I'm sorry. Genesis 2, 24. Genesis 2, the very first book, right at the very beginning. And you know what God said? He said, Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Then the two will be one. Genesis 2, 24. And notice what he said. A man, a woman. And marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, I want you to understand, when I said that, in today's society, there's a lot of people that are mad. Oh, that can't, that's what marriage is. It's God's design. Now, I don't say that because I want to make people mad. I don't say that because uh, I want to hurt people. I say it because it's what the Bible says, and I'm here to teach the truth. So here's what the Bible says. It's God's design. A man, woman. That's marriage. And so we honor it by honoring God's design. Now, how do you honor marriage once or after you're married? So, you do so, first of all, with wisdom. You know, my grandparents were married over 60 years. 60 years. And you know, I just enjoyed going to their house, spending time with them. And there was some, it's not that they had the best house. They was bigger houses. It's not that they had the latest gadgets. They didn't. But they had a stability. Our families liked to get together there because they was their, their, their home, their relationship, there was love, acceptance, and they was, it was stable. And I always thought, you know, that's what I want. As I get older, I want to be able, I, I, I want my family to be able to enjoy coming over, just to have a, a sense there's, you're there. There's, there's love there. There's stability. And I just want to have that sense. How did they accomplish that? That's what I've asked myself. How did they accomplish that? They accomplished it because... They were committed to being together. They were committed to one another. I never once heard either one of them one time say something bad about the other one. Not once. I didn't ever hear them call each other names, put each other down, 
They didn't do that. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't have their moments where they disagreed. They had that. But what I'm saying is, they, in doing so, they didn't call each other names. They didn't scream and holler at each other. They loved one another. And they respected each other. You know, one time I was out visiting. And I was uh, visiting this fellow. Him and his wife had been married a good little while. And he was, he was a mechanic. He just did it on the side. And so he was in his garage. And he's actually working on his son's car. And his son was in there. His son was in his 30s, maybe close to 40. And so uh, I stopped in. And his son said something then about his mom. And this guy just stopped. And he looked at his son. He said, you don't ever talk to her about her like that. Not in my presence. And um, he said, your mom may not be perfect, but you're not going to say that about her in front of me. And um, anyway, his son left. And uh, I said, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't. He said, no, he knows better than that. He knows not to talk about his mother like that. You know, I thought, good for that fella for standing up for his wife, for being able to stick up for her. And you know, whenever, if we're going to have a marriage that's going to work, then we do so with wisdom and we do it by gaining it from people that are successful. And when I look at people that are successful, there's some traits that I see. And I want to be able to pick up on those traits and use them in my life. And then here's something else. We do so with work. Gary Chapman wrote a book recently called uh, Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Got Married. And so he said, one thing I wish I'd known is about romantic love. He said, there's two stages of romantic love. He said, you know, that first stage is when he calls, he said, it's the tingles. <laughs> you know, he said, it's basically, you just got these, you're just, you have this feeling, and tingle all over, and it doesn't go away. And, uh, and he said, and he said love, it's, it's a, a motion, and he said, and love can, it, it just, it goes for a little while. But he said, those tingles, that romantic stage, it lasts on average two years. For some people, it don't last that long. Some, it's just a little longer. But on average, he said, it lasts two years. He said, but when that thing is over with, it changes. He said, so when, he said, I got out of that stage with my wife. He said, I thought, oh no, I've married the wrong woman. <laughs> he said, it's not based on emotion anymore. And so some people feel like I, I'm no longer in love. And a lot of people go and they get divorced. And he said, you start noticing things that you never noticed before. He said, so it takes work. All of a sudden, it takes, it's, it's got to be, it's different being able to meet their needs. Gary Chapman, his book that he's most famous for is called The Five Love Languages. And he says, you know, that basically there's five ways to show love. And what he said he found was, because he's a marriage counselor, he said people would come in and they would say, uh, he, he's just not meeting my needs. And, and so he said the husband would say, well, I'm doing this, this, and this. You know, I'm vacuuming. I'm doing this at the house. And, and, she, and, and she'd say, yeah, but 
he's not spending time with me or he's not doing this. And so he began to notice that people have one particular love language that is theirs. That they, that if you don't get that, then you don't feel loved. And so his five ways of love, you know, was touch, acts of service, gifts, words of affirmation or encouragement, or just spending time together. And out of those five things, every single person has one. It is their specific love language. And if you don't help meet that need, then they don't feel loved. Now, the problem we have is, usually you marry somebody that is different. And the way that they express their love is one of these other ways. And so if it's not their love, if yours is different from that other person, so if yours is words of affirmation, you may give words, but if theirs is act of service, then that's what they need. And so he began to say, you know, if you're going to love somebody, sometimes it takes some work. It takes some effort. And that's the second stage of romantic love. It takes work. People that honor marriage, they're willing to go out of their way to help to meet their spouse's needs to know that, so they can know that they're loved. And let me just mention the third thing, and that is worship. The worship of God. If you're going to be able to love or honor marriage, then you need to do so with God. Marriage is like a triangle. That's what someone said. God at the top, couples on the end, and the closer that together you get to God, the closer, or the closer you'll be together. We need to be able to make God super important. You know, as I look at people's lives that are successful in their marriage, it's amazing how faith plays a role in that. How church plays a role in that. I can tell you, people that attend church regularly, less likely to be divorced. People that pray regularly, less likely to be divorced. Church and the worship of God makes a difference. Now, I was talking about speaking the truth in love. You know... Some people may get offended at the gospel. But I want you to know something. If I love you, then I have to share the gospel. If you know what I, what I believe about the Bible and about the gospel, and I don't share it with you, you should be offended. So if you're married, and you're married to a Christian, and you say, you know, it just... It just, they aggravate me to death because they want me to go to church, because they want me to go and they want me to hear the gospel. They won't leave me alone about it. You know, that's a good sign. Because if your spouse believes the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, the only way you can be forgiven and have a relationship with God is through Christ, thank goodness that they keep inviting you. Thank goodness they're praying for you. Because if this is what they believe, if they didn't do that, you ought to be concerned because they don't think much of you. So you ought to be honored that they want you to hear the gospel and they want you to be able to respond. Valentine's Day is right here. As Christians, it's a good reminder of us that we want to be able to honor the Lord and to honor Him by honoring marriage. And you know, as we think about love, the greatest love ever given is Jesus Christ. 
And so if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, what a great time to be able to receive and accept that love, to make Jesus Christ number one in your life.